This is the Joyful Weight Loss Podcast, and I'm your host, Sarah Wells, MD. Listen in each week, and I'll share from science and scriptures that encourage you in how to cultivate healthy habits so you can lose extra weight and gain more health while cultivating joy. Be sure you are following the podcast so you don't miss an episode. Now, let's dive into this week's topic. Hello and welcome back. I hope everyone has had a wonderful week. Um, so in today's episode, I'm going to discuss or talk about um, the new anti-obesity medications. And, um, you know, you may have heard about them in the news um, or from people, you know, taking them. Um, I'm just going to talk a little bit about them, what they are, what effects they have been having on people who take them and how they seem to work, as well as um, just other information about them. This information is for educational and informational purposes only and solely as a self-help tool for your own use. I am not providing medical, psychological, or nutrition therapy advice. You should not use this information to diagnose or treat any health problems or illnesses without consulting your own medical practitioner. Always seek the advice of your own medical practitioner and or mental health provider about your specific health situation. For my full disclaimer, please go to www.joyfulweightloss.com forward slash disclaimer. So if you've heard about some of these new anti-obesity medications, you've probably first heard of Ozempic. Um, that was just widespread talked about in the news a lot in the last year and a half or so. And more and more people you know may have tried it or been taking it or some version of a molecule that looks like it, which I'll talk more about later. Um, but what are they? What is Ozempic? What are what is um, Wegovy? You know, what are these you know, Mongerno, if you heard of that, this, this is all a new group of medications. And they are what are called incretin therapies. Incretins are types of protein hormones that are already in your body. Okay, they are released after you take in food, after you take in nutrients. And so they're triggered by taking in food nutrients. And what they do is they're secreted. And when they're secreted, they impact the way your body metabolizes glucose, and they do that by stimulating insulin to be released and by inhibiting another hormone called glucagon. So one of these hormones is known by the abbreviation GLP-1, and then another one is GIP. GIP is the incretin that's gastric inhibitory polypeptide, so that's why we call it GIP. It's a lot shorter. And GLP-1 is glucagon-like peptid-1. Okay, another one. Good to abbreviate, right? GLP-1. So those are two really big players in terms of incretin hormones that are secreted, like I said, in response to food and nutrients and have these in impacts on your metabolic function after you eat. So when you think about what these incretin hormones do... Um, in that they impact the way your body metabolizes glucose, that's breaking down kinds of sugar and stimulating insulin to be released um, and then inhibiting the hormone called glucagon, you can kind of think about, well, they're going to end up doing some things to the way your body processes food and to the way you experience food in terms of feeling satisfied and satiety. So what they end up doing, these incretin hormones, um, 
lowering glucose, reducing appetite, and reducing food intake are the effects that occur when people take this new class of drugs, which work in a way that mimic those incretin hormones. So if you've heard of Ozempic, you might've heard it called a GLP-1 agonist. An agonist is a fancy way of saying that it does things on the protein receptor that are the same things that the real protein itself from the body does. So it's an agonist of the receptor, meaning it it attaches to the keyhole that GLP-1 attaches to and turns it on the same way that GLP-1 turns it on, if that makes sense. So it is a GLP-1 agonist. That's what Ozempic is, the semiglutide molecule that is um, in Ozempic and it's in Wegovy. Um, those are the two um, ones you may have heard of. So anyway, <laughs> um, what that means is that, and when I tell you, you know, semiglutide, that is the generic molecule produced that is branded, the brand name Ozempic, which is currently um, for diabetes as as the official indication, and Wegaby for the weight loss indication. Now, Wegaby was approved for weight loss in July of 2021. Ozempic has been around longer and has been used for diabetics for a while now. Um, but it was it, it is currently being used off-label for weight loss. So people are prescribing it for weight loss. It's not labeled for weight loss, but it is being used for it and has been shown to be effective. And the same exact molecule has been kind of packaged differently and branded as Wegaby. And that's the one that is officially labeled for weight loss. So now this class of medicines is not brand new. Um, they have been, you know, these, these Incretin medications have been used in diabetes for a while. So they're not completely brand new. You know, they're known endocrinologists were using them. Primary care people were using them. Uh, I mean, meaning primary care physicians when I say people. Um, and so they're not these untested, completely new on the market things. Um, they've been around a while and, and been used for a while. And, um, what happened is, um, you know, and before, before these, before semaglutide was, um, well used, there was also lyriglutide, um, which is called, which is the brand name is Saxenda, which was approved in 2014. And that was also in the same class, but, um, in, in, like I said, released in 2014 was when it was approved and it began to be used kind of some after that. And it's been used somewhat. Um, but these newer ones, um, seem to have a much bigger impact on weight reduction in studies. So then you also have, okay, I had mentioned Ozempic, Wegovy, both of those are semiglutide in different packages and doses. And, um, then I mentioned liraglutide, which is sexenda. That's also, like I said, another incretin um, mimetic. Mimetic means kind of copycat, sort of in the body. You've also got some other ones that are coming out. The, the most, another one that came out is called Mongerno. That's M-O-U-G-A-R-N-O. And it is actually, you know, the, the generic name for the molecule is terzepatide. Mongerno is the brand name, but it's actually a dual um, incretin hormone. Um, semiglutide is an agonist of just GLP-1, but Mongerno is dual. It's an agonist of GLP-1 and glucose-dependent insulinotrophic polypeptide. That's the GIP. Okay. So it it pushes on, um, it kind of turns the keyholes of both, of both the GIP 
um, receptors and the GLP-1 receptors. So it kind of has a dual effect. And it was approved for diabetes type 2. And it was using, it was being used off-label for weight loss as well. And then it's very soon to be approved for obesity as well. And that, that's Mongerno. Um, and maybe even by the time this podcast comes out, maybe it will be approved. Um, but so that's the newer dual, um, dual acting um, medication in this class that's come out. So, um, and then there's other ones coming down the pipeline that are incretin medications that are modeled to mimic the incretin hormones in our bodies. And those other ones coming out are showing a great deal of promise as well in terms of successfully helping people with obesity reduce extra fat stores and helping with the metabolic um, pathways that are, you know, not working properly in the mix of insulin resistance and obesity. So um, there's a triple agonist, for instance, that's undergoing final trials, Radatrutide, which looks like it may be more effective than any of the ones currently on the on the market. But you know, still <laughs> trials still going on, final trials still going on. So um, this is an entire class of medications that works differently from the older medications that have been used in the past for weight loss. And so they're getting a lot of attention. They're getting a lot more use. Um, and past classes of medications have not worked by mimicking these incretin hormones. So they've done other things. There've been amphetamines. There's been, um, those, you know, um, that kind of tend to speed up your metabolism and the way that they work. Those have been used in the past. Um, and they've helped somewhat with people with obesity, but they have not been nearly the amount of impact that these new class seems to be having. Um, and there's, you know, there's other weight loss medications and other classes that were used as well, but just not, not this type. So, um, how do they work? Well, like I said, they, these new medications mimic these incretin hormones. They kind of curb what people say is that they curb, um, the way that they used to think, think about food all the time, people that are struggling with obesity and weight loss, um, and maintaining weight loss have found that these new medications tend to increase their satiety. They tend to curb their thoughts about food. They tend to slow the emptying of the stomach. Um, and what that does is it prevents people from eating as much and they drastically lower the amount that they're eating and they're able to do that comfortably and they lose extra weight. Now, the, the, the thing that happens here is while people are having a great deal of success with these, um, there's still that knowledge that in order for disease risk to reduce, the content of what's eaten matters and getting exercise matters. So um, it's not like a cure-all for all diseases that are impacted by what you eat. Um, it helps reduce amount and volume. But there's a lot that still goes into taking these medications in a way that's going to benefit your health that has to be thought about. So um, so let's talk about the amount of benefit people are seeing who take these medications. Bariatric surgery patients, people who have weight loss surgery, anti-obesity surgery, um, there's a number of different surgeries that people have, but they can tend to lose between 25 to 40% of their total body weight when people undergo bariatric surgery. And then they maybe regain 
you know, after that low, they maybe regain five to 10 pounds. So um, that can be, you know, that's a big impact on someone's life that's dealing with obesity. Um, One of the reasons, just one of the reasons that bariatric surgery has been so effective is because it actually also adjusts the secretion and timing of these same hormones. Because some of the techniques that do bariatric surgery remove the sections of the digestive tract that are involved in releasing these hormones. And so there's some changes that happen surrounding these hormones that are part of the benefit of people that have bariatric surgery. Um, The GLP-1 average weight loss in studies at 68 weeks of use, um, the average was shown to be about 15% of total body weight that was lost at 68 weeks of use. And that's twice what was seen in other FDA-approved anti-obesity medications. So that's that's a big change. It's a big improvement compared to other medications that have been used before. But not only that, um, 70% of the people, the patients in the studies that took semaglutide, lost at least 10% of their initial weight, which that's kind of a marker that's used in studies because we know that that results in clinically meaningful improvement of a lot of conditions that are related to obesity, like type 2 diabetes, hypertension, obstructive sleep apnea, and impaired life quality. So when you hit that 10% mark, you're really seeing a lot of improvements in those things. So that's why that's kind of a big benchmark. And if 74% of the people that took this medication reach that benchmark, that's a good sign. Um, And not only that, but you know, we talked about the average being a 15% of total body weight loss, about almost a third of the people in that trial that lost were likely to actually lose significantly more. A third of the people taking it were likely to lose 20% or more of their starting weight, um, which is quite significant. Um, And that rivals some of the most commonly performed bariatric surgeries. So we're looking at a medication that creates a significant change um, for somebody who's struggling with obesity. Now, there are a lot of warnings that are with these new medications. Um, You know, there are concerns over if someone has a history of thyroid cancer or family history of thyroid cancer, or any history of pancreatitis, or family history of either of those. Um, There's warnings not to use these medications because it can stimulate um, perhaps an increase in that. Um, Again, this is all information to discuss with your physician if you're someone that's considering taking these. Um, And also there's a whole list of other things to kind of watch out for just as with any medication, there's a list of side effects that are known. Um, And there's also problems with shortages and expense. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But other side effects that are kind of commonly noticed are nausea, gastrointestinal upset, um, constipation, um, reflux. Again, when you're slowing the emptying of food from your stomach, it's going to cause some of these things to happen. Um, people can use stool softeners and antacids to help. Another way to help counter the side effects that um, physicians will will do is very slowly increase the dose. Um, if you don't, because it's it basically you start at a certain dose and then you slowly over a period of weeks and months titrate up as needed. And that is something that's very done very one-on-one with your provider. And in doing it in a cautious way, you're able to decrease side effects when possible, because most of the side effects are seen 
um, when people start the medication or when there's an increase in dose. So taking that as slowly as possible tends to decrease the side effects. Um, but again, some people can't tolerate the medication. Um, there's also side effects of um, people are finding there's decreased absorption of birth control pills, um, which decreases their effectiveness. So um, people who are on birth control pills for pregnancy prevention need to be aware of that. Um, and there's also, you know, rare concerning things that have people have to be aware of. Like I mentioned, the family history issues of um, certain cancers um, would be a warning against taking the medication. But there's also the warning of, um, you know, rare issues of reports of increased suicidal thoughts. And that's something that's seen to some extent in people with bariatric surgery as well after surgery. Um, and it may be, you know, this is just speculation, but maybe it's when people who are able to find comfort um, from food are unable to then get comfort from food, lose that kind of coping mechanism that they had. Um, they may find that their depression kind of surfaces in a way that triggers these thoughts. So that's something to be aware of and watch for, but it is unusual. Um, and then there's also the risk of severe pancreatitis that could even be, um, something that leads to death in, um, and in clinical trials, severe pancreatitis, um, was at a percentage of 0.2%, but that's something to talk about with your physician if you're considering this. But those are some of the, the more commonly known side effects and the rare severe side effects. Um, but when taking this kind of medication, something else to be aware of is that people can tend to, when they're not eating a lot, maybe, you know, they don't get a lot of opportunities to get the nutritional content they need. You know, you need a certain number of micronutrients and macronutrients for your body to function. And if you're suddenly having no appetite, it's possible that in the small amount of appetite you have, you choose the wrong things. So if you don't get enough protein in, you will tend to lose more muscle proportionally um, compared to fat. And in any kind of weight loss, you want to preserve as much muscle as possible. So that's something to be aware of and strategize around um, by increasing your protein, by doing weight um, lifting and strength training. Um, and another thing that is important to remember is that people who take these medications, this isn't necessarily like a easy button. You know, you still, there's still a need to remain you know, involved in making quality food choices. You don't want to become deficient in micronutrients. You don't want to um, become sarcopenic, which is where you lose so much muscle that you don't have enough muscle to function well. Um, if you keep, if you have very little appetite and with that little appetite you have, you only choose ultra processed foods, there are definitely going to be consequences in your health. So, you know, you still have to make good food choices to see the maximum improvement in your health that you want to see. Um, but less food intake overall, less calorie intake overall for people who are struggling with decreasing their overeating because of the metabolic problems that come with obesity, these medications seem to help people do that, which is a good thing. Um, another thing to think about is what happens in studies when people go off these medications? Well, what happens is that they tend to regain weight. Um, maybe slowly, but it will almost always go back to where it was when you were using lifestyle modifications alone. Um, in the step one trial that shouldn't, ex they did an extension of that trial and followed people for a year after they stopped taking the medication. And in that year, those patients regained two thirds of their lost weight. So this is the sort of thing where whatever you do to lose the weight, 
you kind of have to expect you have to keep doing it to maintain the weight loss. So for these medications, these are more medications that need to be looked at as kind of like if you have um, another condition that you need a medication for life, these medications are needed potentially for life in order to maintain successful treatment um, for the long term. So um, you kind of have to think of it. This is not a quick fix thing. This is kind of a, are you making this decision to go on a medication that you're going to take long term? Um, And that's because there's a lot of neurohormonal changes that occur because of weight loss. There's an adaptation in the metabolism um, where your body reduces um, the energy expenditure below what's expected um, of people at the same weight. So you have two people that maybe weigh 150 pounds each. The person that lost 50 pounds to reach 150 pounds compared to the person that has always weighed 150 pounds as an adult, the person that had the weight loss is actually going to need fewer calories to maintain that 150 pounds than the person that has always weighed 150 pounds, if that makes sense. You basically have a reduced energy need compared to somebody at the same weight who's never lost weight. And you can look at studies of like the the contestants on The Biggest Loser to see how, you know, The Biggest Loser, it was that show, it was really popular, I don't know, 10 years ago where people would go on these, you know, really excessive um, weight reduction, um, you know, on TV um, reality show. And they lost significant amount of weight using dietary changes and exercise but over the long term, the thermogenic adjustments of their metabolism were very significant to where it was very challenging for people to keep that weight off. And that's a known issue with weight loss is that your body is going to adapt and you're going to need fewer calories to stay at the same weight compared to somebody who's always been at that weight. And that's, that's a challenge. And that's why, um, you know, there's a lot of strategizing involved and that's part of why obesity is a chronic and relapsing disease. So, um, when the physiologic changes happen um, in weight loss. Besides that decreased thermogenic effect, you've also got an increase in drive to eat driven by um, decreased satiety. And there's hormones that when you lose weight, those hormones are secreted that will drive you to eat more and drive you to not feel as full. And so it's very challenging to maintain weight loss. And I've talked about that before, but if you take medications to help you override that and then lose the weight and then go off those medications, those same thermogenic effects and those same metabolic changes and those same hormonal changes will happen that happen in someone that lost weight using lifestyle alone. So without the medication on board, you will face the same challenge in weight maintenance. Um, so that's just something to know. These are biological changes. These are not necessarily just willpower. Um, and that's why we have to think scientifically and strategically about how we can address those. So in any case, all that being said, these are not just quick fix medications and suddenly you're done and you're fixed and you never have to think about it again. Um, so, so that is a small amount of information about the new weight loss medications. I will give you a little bit more information in the next episode. So as not to overwhelm me with too much at once. Um, all that being said, I hope you'll have a great week and come back again next week for more discussion of this. Thank you for joining me today. If you've enjoyed this, I'm going to ask you to do a couple of things. First, please leave a review for me. This is how people find the podcast. Secondly, 
Y'all, sharing is caring. You can actually easily share this episode or a podcast entirely with a friend. Just text it to them. Lastly, if you're looking for more encouragement and direction from me, go sign up for my free newsletter. It's called The Extra Helping. You can go to www.joyfulweightloss.com. That's joyful spelled with two L's. And then when you're there, click on the extra helping to sign up. That's all for now, y'all. Don't forget to be sure you're subscribed and tune in again next week for more.